0: Thank you, Beth, for reading God's word for us this morning to be able to hear the closing verses of John chapter 6. We're going to finish this chapter this morning, this great chapter on Jesus' declaration being the bread of life. Uh, And I wonder if, uh, in light of this passage, uh, you thinking back to old friends, family members, Maybe even this was part of your own experience in the faith, your journey of faith, but you can think of individuals, you can see their faces, you know their names, you know their stories, those who for a season attended church with you growing up, went to youth camp with you. Uh, Maybe they were even baptized at the same church that you were baptized at, grew up in similar families, or uh, maybe even later on in life, college friends that uh, you followed Christ with, Um, friends even uh, later on in life uh, as you had children, um, or maybe even being parents or even grandparents now. Uh, have seen those younger uh, than you um, children even not walking with the Lord and it grieves our heart it makes us sad to to think about those individuals how and and wonder what what happened what went wrong why are they not following the Lord anymore why are they not um, drawing near to the Lord why is their experience different than ours and we're saddened, we're broken for those individuals. We ought to be intentional to pray for those individuals, to consider ways and opportunities that we have to reach out to those individuals, to care most about their eternal life rather than their um, you know, earthly life. But we, can, we, we all can think about those individuals who have uh, for a season called themselves Christian, for a season have seemed to have followed Christ, and then in the, the popular world's uh, word, deconstructed, if you will. Uh, part of that, I think, is due to the fact that um, for at least our period of history, uh, belief in Jesus um, was made very easy for individuals in churches. Um, come and get all of the good. And yet, don't worry about taking up your own cross and denying yourself and following Jesus. But come and have your sins forgiven. Um, you know, make sure hell is is not an option for you. Heaven is your only direction, and you know we'll we'll figure out the rest later. And yet, Jesus's call to himself and to the gospel and to uh, heaven and eternal life was to repent and to believe. And to take up your cross, denying yourself, and follow Jesus. Jesus never promised us a life short of uh, suffering. And and I think in in our period of history, our short period of history, at least uh, around here geographically, we have um, grown up in churches where it it was made easy to believe. And so when the weight of the world became too much for us to bear. We punted the Christian faith. Or, or when the desires of the world became too strong for us, gr- stronger than our desire for the Lord, then we gave up on the Lord and we held fast to those desires. Is this not uh, the, the parable of the seeds sown on the four types of soils in Matthew chapter 13, Uh, being revealed in our day and age. I really think it is. And so Matthew chapter 13, that that parable is told of of a farmer who sows seed. And it lands on four different types of soils. One uh, on the hard path in which it doesn't even take root. The birds come and steal the the seed, which is representative of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, uh, the hope of forgiveness and eternal life. Through faith in Him, uh, the other uh, next two soils are the the soil the rocky soil where the seed immediately takes root, but uh, uh, as soon and it grows up quickly. But as soon as the weight of the world, the sun of the world, come down onto that plant, it withers away because it has no deep root. We're seeing that happening to friends and family members, to many people in our culture who have called themselves Christians, or the next soil was uh, the soil that it begins to grow up quickly again, but then it's amidst thorns, and it's representative of the desires of the world that are are, are so tempting uh, that end up choking out the, the plant That it's growing up in. We see people who have fallen prey to that too, wanting the desires of the world more than desiring the Lord. But it's only that last soil, that soil that is uh, toiled and tilled, made fertile by the Lord Himself. So when the gospel seed lands on it, it takes root. It, it grows up and it bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. It remains until the end through the scorching heat, through the thorns that are around it. It has been prepared to be able to endure. That's the, that's the reality of the, the text that we have today, a text that describes really those who end up falling away and those who remain in the end. John chapter 6 is. Uh, This great story of Jesus um, feeding the 5,000 with bread uh, on a hillside and and showing them physically that He's able to provide physical bread, but then going another step further and telling them that He's able to provide spiritual bread for them. Not bread that will perish, but bread that will last forever forever. If, if they would take it. And at first, their first response is, yes, sir, give us this bread always. We want that type of... We can't buy that bread at Kroger. We can't find that kind of bread here. We need that kind of bread that will last forever. And, and they say, give us this bread always. And then Jesus enters into this back and forth with these Jewish individuals uh, in Capernaum, in the synagogue, near the Sea of Galilee. Uh, and they go from saying, give us this bread always, to grumbling and complaining about Jesus talking about an eternal bread, Him being the bread of life. And it doesn't stop at grumbling. It goes from grumbling to disputing. And they begin disputing amongst themselves. Well, who does He think He is to be able to say that He's the bread of life that's come down from heaven? claiming that He's the Son of God and that God the Father is His Father and He's doing His Father's will. They're disputing among the fact that Jesus uh, has said He's come from heaven to earth and and, and eventually that He's going to give up His body and shed His blood for the forgiveness of sins. They're disputing amongst amongst this fact. Sir, give us this bread always. Grumbling and complaining disputing amongst themselves, and you heard it read for you in the closing verses of chapter 6, they go away in the end. They turn back, no longer wanting to walk and follow Jesus any longer. It breaks the heart of the Lord. It, It breaks our heart when we think about people who have done the same thing. At first, wanting to follow Jesus with the crowds, saying, yes, give me Jesus always. And then slowly but surely grumbling, disputing about the things of the Lord and God's Word and how we're to live in light of that. And in the end, they just turn back and do not follow anymore. And I hope to put before you what John describes of these two groups of individuals here, both the marks of false disciples and the marks of true disciples. And to sum it up this morning for us, I I want you to to know that this passage teaches us that true disciples remain believing Jesus is Lord and His Word is life. True disciples remain believing Jesus is Lord and His Word is life. We could say it another way that true disciples are marked by the Word. Life. Life belief, and perseverance. And we'll see those things fleshed out as we go through this passage in a different context in regards to a different passage. uh, My Scottish brother Alistair Begg said it this way, which I thought was helpful. Being part of the visible people of God is no guarantee of eternal security if it is not combined with a living, living, personal, ongoing trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read that again for us. I think it's helpful. Being part of the visible people of God is no guarantee of eternal security if it is not combined with a living, personal, ongoing trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe you need to hear that this morning because you have had false assurance of your faith simply because you attend on Sunday or simply because you're a member of this church or because you call yourself uh, a Christian though you have not been following after the Lord. Or Christian. Maybe you need to hear that in regards to others in your life whom you want to believe are Christians because they at one time said they followed Jesus. And at one time, they were baptized. And at one time, they were a member of the church. But they're no longer following Jesus. We need to see the truth of God's Word this morning so that we'll take the right action, not only in our own life, but in regards to the life of others around us. And so let's look together at the, this first section, really the first paragraph and the following verse that I think outlined the marks of false disciples. For you heard it read for us before I came up this morning. You you heard that these disciples in the end turned away in verse 66. They turned back and they no longer walked with him. So we have to even consider what what does it mean when in verse 60 it says when many of his disciples heard it they said, or or in verse 66, after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. Well, what does it mean to be a disciple? What what does disciple mean here in this passage and who is it talking about? Thankfully, in, in the context of this story, if we continue reading what we'll look at at the later half of the sermon, disciple here is talked of more generally very often we use the word disciple to refer to Jesus's 12 disciples and that would be right in a certain context but this word is not speaking of the 12 for the apostle John speaks of the the 12 being a separate group even though even among that separate group of 12 there's one who is a false disciple uh, disciples in this first section in regards to the context are really just talking about that large group of followers that's what disciple means it's a follower a a learner one who uh, in, in Jewish context would have been a disciple of a rabbi and Jesus was a uh, a rabbi in that sense and so and he's been called rabbi all the way already up to this point in the Gospel of John and so they're there was a crowd of some 5,000 men, maybe 15, 20,000 people on the hillside following Jesus all the way around the Sea of Galilee and then all the way back around the Sea of Galilee. These are followers. Followers that want to hear Jesus teach. Followers that want to see another miracle. Followers that the day before had a wonderful meal that was multiplied by Jesus and passed out by Jesus and came that morning looking to Jesus for another meal, a breakfast this time, having had a wonderful supper the night before, looking for another meal to feel, fill their bellies. And so, when we're speaking of, uh, when John is writing that many of his disciples in verse 60 heard, heard the, the teaching that I described to you a minute ago, this, is, this was their response this large crowd of followers. They said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Literally, the words there in Greek are, are describing a, a harsh word. A word, a, a logos. The same word used to describe Jesus as being the word. And so they're, they're essentially telling Jesus, who is the word, that the words you're saying are harsh. They're harsh. It's not a hard saying in that it's confusing and it's really deep and I don't quite understand it. It's harsh. It's offensive is what Jesus says later. Do you take offense at my words? They are offended by it. They hear it and they're offended by it. Hearing that they need a Savior, hearing that they need to repent and believe, It's harsh to them. And so when you're considering this paragraph as it shares with us certain marks of false disciples, the first would be that they listen, but they take offense at Jesus' words. might listen to Jesus' words as they've done this day and the day before on the hillside, but after listening to them For a time, they began to take offense at Jesus' words. And again, they're described as grumbling. Jesus responds in verse 61, knowing in himself that his disciples, again these followers, were grumbling about this. He said to them, do you take offense at this? Again, these disciples are falling into the footsteps of their forefathers, the Israelites in the Old Testament who grumbled and complained at a result of the Word of God that delivered them out of Egypt through the Red Sea towards the Promised Land. But as they began to face the scorching sun, Without uh, water to be able to drink, they grumbled and complained. And when they began to um, face the temptations of the nations around them, uh, they too uh, began to grumble and complain. And these people are no different. They're they're probably hungry because Jesus has not yet fed them. He instead of feeding them that morning, he preached to them, which is. Maybe not a great way to start the morning. If you didn't eat breakfast this morning, you may be feeling similarly. That's your own fault. But they are grumbling and complaining upon hearing God's Word. Let that not be us. This is a mark of disciples who fall away, grumbling, taking offense, um, thinking God's Word is harsh when in fact it is life it may look hard on the surface in some level, but when we have found that there is provision to live every word of the Lord out in our lives by the gift of God the Holy Spirit for us, guidance in His Word, the help of the church surrounding us, we find that they're not as hard as we first made them out to be. And so we Cannot think that God's word is harsh. It made me think of Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11 through 14, when the writer of Hebrews is writing to uh, another Jewish uh, group of people and and describes their immaturity and their unwillingness to, by faith, grow up in the faith and instead are at, at fear of falling away. In Hebrews chapter five, because of the because of their lack of accepting the word of God, thinking the word of God is harsh. Hebrews chapter five verse eleven, the writer of Hebrew warns and says about this: We have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk. Not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid milk is for the mature. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. That passage takes us from being a a child potentially in the faith or even even just a child first understanding the words of God. And and it's at that point that one can uh, either think those things are harsh, begin grumbling against them and being offended by them and go one way or eat them and cherish them, treasure them, grow in them and, and want to pursue those things. And yet, even after all of that, Jesus seeing their grumbling and complaining, you would think if Jesus were to take the strategy of many pastors and preachers and churches at that point when he saw that they were grumbling and being offended by that, he would kind of backpedal just a little bit and go a little softer. Okay, hold on. Let me, let me, let me make things easier for you. Let me, let me help you to understand these things rather than press on and, and really make a clear dividing line of who has really believed these things and who hasn't. And so Jesus didn't make things easier for them to understand. He added another layer of truth on top of that. That's what we see him do when he speaks in verse 62. Then what if you were to see, or let me ask the question just before this, do you take offense at this? And then he adds, Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? Up to this point, Jesus had already mentioned that he was coming to do his Father's will, which made him the Son of God. And he said that he had come down from heaven. He had descended from heaven to the earth, and they didn't like that. And Jesus says, If you don't even want to understand that, if you're grumbling and complaining at the fact that I left heaven and came down to earth to do my Father's will to save you, what are you going to do with the fact that I say I'm also going to go back to heaven? I'm also going to go sit on the throne next to my Father in heaven. If you didn't like me coming down for you to give you bread yesterday and to feed you, and you didn't like that, how much more are you going to like the fact that I'm going back up? And one day I will judge judge you according to your faith or lack of faith, judging you according to your uh, walk and your obedience to me. And so Jesus adds this other layer uh, of that. And what we see from this is that these false disciples, the second mark of false disciples would be that they deny Jesus is the source of eternal life. They deny Jesus as the source of eternal life. Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man? Jesus' one of Jesus' favorite titles for himself, referencing back to Daniel chapter 7, the one whom God the Father gave all authority to. Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? They, they wouldn't like that either. And Jesus says to them, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. They think that in themselves, in their flesh, they have the opportunity to earn eternal life. They think that it's up to their flesh to be able to accomplish this, to be able to even understand these things. And Jesus saying, the flesh is no help at all. Your flesh is no help at all in securing for you eternal life. It doesn't matter how much good you do. It doesn't matter how many worship services you attend. It doesn't matter how many classes you take and how well you understand the truths of God's Word. The flesh, the mind, uh, is no help at all. It is the Spirit who gives life. Jesus would even say it's not even it's not even my flesh and my blood uh, that is of help to to you in the end. As if they were to take the previous teaching when Jesus said to eat of my bread, uh, my body, which is the bread, and to drink of my blood. Um, those things, if they even could do those things would not be helpful at all. It is the Spirit that gives life is what Jesus is trying to teach them. And yet, these false disciples have denied that Jesus is the source of this eternal life. They don't believe that it is Jesus. They believe they can accomplish it their own. The words Jesus says that I have spoken to you are Spirit and life. And yet, they don't want to believe them. They don't want to hold fast to them. They've considered them harsh and have been unwilling to accept them. And so Jesus continues. Not only do they deny that Jesus is the source of eternal life, but they do not believe the truth about Jesus. Jesus confronts them with this in verse 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. Notice that in the midst of this huge crowd maybe not all of the 5000 men and 15 to 20,000 people from the day before made the trip back around the sea of galilee to find jesus that morning but there was a large crowd there in the midst of this synagogue where jesus was teaching in capernaum and jesus is teaching the entire crowd but he doesn't put everybody in the same category He knows that there are some who are true disciples, which is why he says to them in verse 64, there are some of you who do not believe. Now Jesus, being the Son of God, he knows who it is who believes and who it is who doesn't believe. He could perceive their thoughts. We already saw that in this passage as they were grumbling amongst themselves And yet we don't have that perspective. We don't know who it is. It's impossible for us to judge the heart of another individual. All we can see is the outward fruit, the outward works of the inward heart. But Jesus can see and Jesus can perceive them in that crowd and He can see you in this crowd. He can see whether you take offense at God's Word. He can see whether or not You believe that Jesus is the source of eternal life. He can see whether or not you have believed in Him. Whether you're in the crowd of unbelievers or whether you're in that small remnant of those who truly do believe. Jesus calls them out, which is so kind, isn't it? So kind of Jesus to acknowledge the unbelief Unfortunately, again, in our day and age, I've been in crowds much larger than this in the past couple weeks that people from a certain stage assured everyone in the crowd that they were children of God when in fact some of them themselves didn't want to be children of God openly and, and claimed to follow another God openly. Jesus is so kind in saying that even though you're all Jews, even though you're all among the, the national people of God, some of you do not believe. Some of you are not true Jews. Some of you are not true Israel because you've yet to believe that I, a Jew, Jesus saying this, that you have yet to believe that I am the Messiah. That I'm the one that has come from heaven to earth and believe. Jesus is pointing out this this additional mark of uh, false disciples that they just truly do not believe. Both the truth about Jesus, um, uh, about His identity, nor do they believe the truth about the activity of Jesus. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, nor do they believe that he is walking faithfully with God. They don't believe that Jesus is the Son of Man, nor do they believe that Jesus is going to one day die on the cross and rise from the dead. They, They don't believe the identity nor the activity of Jesus, and so they don't put their faith in Jesus. They don't believe in Jesus. They don't believe certain things about Jesus which has caused them to not believe In Jesus which in the end their unbelief as let me continue to read in verse 64 but there are some of you who do not believe we have a a parenthetical statement that the Apostle John gives us after quoting Jesus's words explaining many years after Jesus said those words John explaining why Jesus said them, for Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray Him. Jesus knew. And it goes on in verse 65 and says, And He said, This is why I told you, that no one can come to Me unless it is granted him by the Father. Jesus knew who it was from the very beginning, who would believe and who would not, which is why Jesus references back to verse 44, where previously he had said, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And now Jesus says here, this is why I told you that, that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the father. This is the gift of God. And Jesus knew who it was who would believe in Him, for He knew whom the Father had given Him to save. And so the result in unbelief, the result of knowing the source of eternal life, the result in not accepting Jesus' Word and taking offense at it was verse 66. After this, many, not all, many, of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. A sobering statement. I mean, that should cause us to to pause and and reflect and consider. Maybe even you, in a period of your life, growing up in church, uh, at some point in your life, taking offense at God's Word, not believing that Jesus really had life, but that there was life out there that He didn't offer you and wanting to go get it. Um, not believing in your heart and so not believing in your life in Him and, and turning back and, and going your own way. I mean, even every day that we fall into sin, we've done that, those very things right there. We haven't believed His Word. We haven't believed He has life. Uh, we have not put our faith in Him, and so we turn back, even if it's just for a moment. Even if after that moment of sin, we repent and believe again and come back to Him and follow after Him. That's what we've done. But you may have, a part of your own testimony, your own story, a longer period of turning back and not following Jesus. And only by God's grace has He revealed Himself to you, revealed your sin to you, revealed Christ the Savior to you for you to turn back and come to Him. Praise God for that. But you likely know other individuals who have gone through this journey that we just saw and are still turned back, not following Jesus. And and as we read that description in verse 66, that many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him, we think of certain individuals. I want to encourage you to spend some time considering those individuals today. Maybe even jotting some of their names down on your note page. Spending some time in prayer for them this afternoon, considering how you might be able to speak the truth of God's Word to them, the the gospel of, of Jesus Christ to them, to love them and to show the love of Christ to them in some form or fashion. Using this passage as a description, not giving them false assurance, but really seeing them as they are. That at least as far as we can tell, not being able to see their heart, that their actions are not showing themselves to be true disciples. And calling them to repentance and faith as Jesus did in that day. Or maybe you're here and you see yourself right here, right now, today in the midst of that journey. And if you were to consider a description of your own life, you would say that's it. I've turned back and I have not been following Jesus. I would encourage you this morning as we make this transition in verse 66 to 67, going from looking at the marks of false disciples to looking at the marks of true disciples, that you would consider what is keeping you from becoming a true disciple today? What has this world done for you that is so great that you want to continue going in that direction? Consider this morning... The, the marks of true disciples, then in verse 67 and, and following. As John has described, a, a large crowd of that even larger group going away from Jesus. You can imagine that the crowd at the synagogue, while Jesus showed up and, and He attracted an entire crowd of people, His preaching emptied the church. <laughs> Yeah, you know, that would be not very encouraging, you know. As I'm as I'm preaching these things, you know, individuals standing up, and I'm done with. It. I'm, I've had enough of that, and, and you know, the church emptying as as someone preaching, not not very encouraging. But Jesus was fine with it. And and with that small group of individuals left in the synagogue, he looks to his twelve, the the twelve disciples that Jesus specifically to. Called to himself to follow him even more closely than the crowds and who traveled with him and had seen his miracles up to all of his miracles up to this point, had seen and and heard all of his teachings up to this point. Jesus, it says, said to the 12, Do you want to go away as well? I mean, do you see the crowd? They're, they're They're all leaving me. Do you want to go? With them? It'd be essentially me saying, do you you want to go to the world too, Christian? Do you want what they're offering you? Or do you want Jesus? Do you want to go away as well, Jesus asked them. And Peter, in such Peter fashion, uh, opens his mouth first. Praise be to God, this is a good moment in uh, Peter's life. He's trusting the Lord. He's seen that the Lord is his only hope. Peter's known for a great confession in uh, Matthew 16 and and in Mark 8 where uh, Jesus asks, uh, who who do the people say that I am? And the disciples respond saying, "Well, well some say you're John the Baptist, some Elijah, some Moses, some a prophet and Jesus then, like here, he looks to them. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter opens his mouth well there and says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And and here Peter opens his mouth after Jesus looks to them and says, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? I mean, where else am I going to go? I've been there. I've done that. It has not satisfied, yet you have satisfied. The reason you haven't got up and left during my sermon is because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You have shown up Sunday after Sunday for an hour and a half plus every Sunday to be able to sing God's praises to hear God's Word read over you, to be challenged to believe again the Gospel of Jesus Christ and to live out the Gospel of Jesus Christ because you've tasted and seen the Lord is good and you, at least with some clarity in in your eyes, you look at the world and you're like, where else are we going to go? I've been there. I've tasted that. I've seen that and it has not satisfied It's lied and deceived and it's fallen short. I don't don't want that anymore. You're the only one that has truly satisfied me. Essentially, church, Christian, we're the, the group who are no different from the rest of the world, but we've finally come to realize that the world cannot satisfy us, that only Christ can satisfy us, which is why Peter, early on in this discipleship process with Jesus, maybe maybe a half or two-thirds of the way into this this time with Jesus, said, Lord, to whom shall we go? And so when you're considering the marks of true disciples, as we look at Peter's following uh, statement, we see that true disciples contrasted with the false disciples who listen and took offense at Jesus' words, true disciples hear and accept Jesus' words. They hear and accept Jesus' words. Peter goes on and he says, you have the words of eternal life. uh, Peter recognizes that Jesus' words are different from everyone else's words. He's come to realize that Jesus' words, as we're told about Scripture, are inspired because they are the actual breath of God. Peter's come to realize that Jesus' words, as the writer of Hebrews tells us, are living and active, able to penetrate bone and marrow. Peter has realized that Jesus' words are better than the bread he ate the day before. In fact, in Peter's mind, I wonder if he has in in mind that uh, having eaten physical bread the day before and yet realizing uh, in this moment that Jesus' words are better bread, and that they're the word of life. I wonder if he recalled Old Testament scriptures like Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 16 where the prophet says your words were found and I ate them and your words became to me a joy and a delight the delight of my heart for I called for I am called by your name O Lord God of hosts Jeremiah said I found your word and I ate it and it was a delight to me Peter saying, your words are life. Or maybe like Ezekiel. In Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 8, It said that, but you, son of man, hear what I say to you. Be not rebellious like that rebellious house. Open your mouth and eat what I give you. And he says, and when I looked, and behold a hand was stretched out to me and behold, a scroll of a book was in it and He spread it before me and had writing on the front and the back and there were written on it the words of lamentation and mourning and woe. And He said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll. Go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and He gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. And then I ate it, and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. True disciples have heard God's Word, and they've accepted it because it has satisfied them. They have found that it was sweet to to the mouth, sweeter as the psalmist says, than the drippings of the honeycomb. Uh, When we've heard God's Word, we've heard it, accepted it, tasted it, and seen that it is good. John would have a similar revelation, if you will, in Revelation chapter 10, where he too eats of a scroll that the Lord gives to him, and he finds that it's both sweet as honey, but at the same time also bitter. Why bitter? It's sweet as honey for those who believe and have trusted and have accepted it. But it's bitter to those who have denied the Lord in unbelief because judgment is also coming one day. The Word of God is both sweet and honey. And those who have trusted Christ, who are His true disciples, have heard it and rather than taking offense of it, said it's absolutely true. It's called me a sinner, and yet it's shown me that Jesus is my Savior. And they've accepted it. They've even gone beyond accepting it. They know that Jesus is the source of eternal life. They know that the words that Jesus has are words of eternal life. In fact, this is what Jesus made clear not only in John 6, but as the apostle John records throughout the entire Gospel of John. This is how he introduced him in the prologue of John 1.4. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We've seen it here in John chapter 6. We could begin skipping forward throughout the entire Gospel of John, looking at almost every one of the I Am statements and see life in them. John eight twelve. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John ten ten. The thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I come, Jesus says, that they may have life, and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Or John eleven twenty five. I am the resurrection and the what? Life. Whoever believes in Me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus asked them. John 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. And even in John 14, Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, verse 3 This is eternal life, that they know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. True disciples have come to know that Jesus is the source of eternal life. Do you know the source of eternal life? Have you come to believe and understand that it's in Jesus Christ and in Jesus alone? Not only have they come to know that, but because they have heard and accepted Jesus' words, and because of Jesus' words, they've come to realize that He is the source of eternal life. And you put those two things together, and they have believed. They have not only believed certain things about who Jesus is and about what Jesus will do. They've not only come to believe certain things about Jesus' identity and Jesus' activity, but because of who Jesus is and because of what Jesus will do, they put their faith in Jesus. They put their faith in Jesus. True disciples have put their faith in Jesus. In fact, this is the reason why the Apostle John writes this entire gospel narrative for us. He tells us that. In that theme verse of John 20, 31, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. True disciples, because of the Word of God and because uh, of who the Son of God is, that He has eternal life, they will believe in him. But then lastly, we finish with this key characteristic. They won't just believe when things are easy, while Jesus is with them, uh, when everything's being provided for them. They won't just believe for a short season and then fall away as we saw the false disciples in verse 66. No, these will remain. We already saw Peter say, Lord, to whom shall we go? Who else are we going to follow? You, you can hear it in the midst of Peter's passion in this moment, but if we fast forward in the story, many of us know that at the point of Jesus' betrayal by Judas and his arrest, many of these disciples will, will run Thanks be to God, they will only run for a short season and they'll turn back and they'll come and they'll follow and they'll persevere throughout their lifetime. Many of themselves being killed and even crucified like Jesus himself. But we see it also um, as they have believed and have come to know that Jesus is the Holy One of God, Jesus answered them in verse 70 and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? He says, And yet one of you is a devil. That word literally meaning a, a deceiver, a slanderer. He spoke, John tells us, again, much later when he's writing this gospel, looking back on what Jesus said in that moment, John tells us that he spoke of Judas the son of Simon Iscariot, Judas from the city of Kerioth, And he says that for he, one of the twelve was going to betray him. Even Jesus in that moment among the twelve, he contrasts those who will follow and those who won't. That there will be eleven who will, last mark of a true disciple, will follow Jesus and remain with him. They'll continue steadfastly. They'll persevere to the end. In contrast with those who will betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, who will turn Jesus in to the guards and authorities to be crucified later, and and in guilt and shame end up taking his, his own life. These 11 will remain and will remain steadfast. They'll persevere. In fact, the Apostle John who wrote the Gospel of John will write three letters later on in our New Testament, 1st, uh, 2nd, and 3rd John, and there the Apostle John describes w- what, what is happening many years after Jesus died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead and even ascended, went up to be with his Father in heaven there were many who called themselves believers for a time, but after a certain amount of time, even in the first century, even in John's local church, many turned back. Many fell away. Many were like those two middle soils, the rocky ground and the thorny soil that, that end up falling away. And John writes about them in 1 John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but he says, but they were not of us. Why? For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they all are not of us. Jesus is making that dividing line here trying to show with the truth of the gospel who is in and who is out, who is truly believed and who is not believed. The Apostle John, many years later, is seeing this played out, saying that there are some that go out from us because they were actually never of us. They had actually never truly repented of their sins and believed. They may have attended church even been baptized, called themselves Christians, even been a member of a church, and yet they went out from us because they were never truly of us. Jesus and the Apostle John um, say that is actually of good to show that they were actually never of us, to show who is truly in and truly out. And time does not allow me to consider the passages of warning. Um, but you might consider, maybe in groups this week, Acts chapter 20, 29 through 32, or Second Peter chapter 2, 1 through 3, that gives us good words of warning in in the midst of these times, to not listen to false teachers, lest we too fall away and become like this crowd of disciples that went away from Jesus or even become like Judas ourselves. No, true disciples will remain. And so we have an opportunity as followers of Jesus and those who are even simply this morning considering Jesus to examine our own hearts and to consider whether or not we're a false disciple based on this description in God's Word or a true disciple in, in God's Word. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 when the apostle Paul was writing to a uh, a church in Corinth he brings up the the Lord's supper but upon taking it he warns them in verse 27 of chapter 11 of 1 Corinthians he says whoever therefore eats of the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning The body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. We're going to have an opportunity where we partake by breaking of bread and drinking from the cup in remembrance of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came from heaven down to the earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, and yet willingly gave up his body, and shed his blood on the cross for the forgiveness of sins. He was buried in the tomb and rose on the third day, conquering sin and death to offer eternal life to all who believe. And you, I I can't do this for you, you need to examine your own heart this morning and consider, are you a true disciple of Jesus, having accepted his word believed that He's the source of eternal life, believed in Him, repenting of your sins, and are following after Him, remaining steadfast to Him to this day? And if so, I want to invite you to stand with us in a moment and to come forward down these outside aisles to break of the bread and, and to take the cup back to your seat and to continue examining yourself even confessing the fact that you, even this week, have in a small way turned back from following Jesus and sin. And confess that to the Lord. Repent and believe again and follow after him again. But examine your heart. And if you find that in the, the depths of your heart, just between you and the Lord, the marks of a false disciple describe your heart and your life more than the marks of a true disciple this morning. Be not ashamed, for Christ came for you to die for you. Simply repent of your sins and trust trust Christ. But, but hear Christ and His words. Hear my words this morning that that call to repentance and faith is for um, salvation from hell, and an opportunity to spend eternity with God in eternal life in heaven, but it's also a call to follow. It's a call to deny yourself, to deny your sin, to take up your cross, and to follow Jesus. Even through the rocky times of life, even through the thorny times of life, even through the the sun beating down on you in the midst of life, knowing that He is with you always, knowing that He will hold you fast, knowing that you will spend eternity with Him, that He offers you eternal life. And this morning, why why not today become a true disciple of Jesus? Let's pray. Father, I pray that You'd help us. Help us examine our own hearts this morning. May You give us clarity that You have as you were described, knowing who it was who would believe and who it was who would not, knowing the hearts of men in the crowd. Lord Jesus, you know my heart. You know our hearts. You can see. And I pray that you would give us your vision to examine our own hearts, to consider whether or not we're a true disciple of Jesus having repented and believed and followed you in baptism and are continuing to follow you today, or whether we are a false disciple, one who has maybe followed you in name but is not truly repented of our sins, is not truly held fast to your word, is not truly believed in you as the source of eternal life. Lord, give us your vision. I ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, Christian, true disciple of Jesus, I want to invite you as we stand to sing to come down these outside aisles to break of the bread and to take the cup and together we will eat and drink in remembrance of Christ together.